Hi, this is Teresa from Books to the Ceiling. I dreamed of Manderley again. One of my favorite lines in literature from the classic Rebecca and a part of the Greenleaf Murders. If you love the idea of restoring old houses, and I mean old, then today we have an excellent mystery for you by R.J. Carrito. Best of all, the house that will be restored was a part of the Gilded Age. I'm always on board for historic home tours, so add a little mystery and this is my idea of a perfect afternoon. Here's a little more about the book. Young architect Rin Fontaine lands her dream job, restoring Greenleaf House, New York's finest Gilded Age mansion, to its glory days. But old homes have old secrets. Stephen Greenleaf, heir to what's left of his family's legacy, refuses to reveal what his plans are once the renovation is completed. And still living in a corner of the home is Stephen's 90-year-old Aunt Agnes, who's lost in the past, brooding over a long-forgotten scandal while watching Rin with mistrust. Rin's job becomes more complex when a shady developer who was trying to acquire Greenleaf House is found murdered. And after breaking into a sealed attic, Rin finds a skeleton stuffed in a trunk. She soon realizes the two deaths, a century apart, are strangely related. Meanwhile, a distraction of a different kind appears in the form of her client's niece, the beautiful and seductive Hadley Vanderwerf. As Rin gingerly approaches a romance, she finds that Hadley has her own secrets. Then a third murder occurs, and the introverted architect is forced to think about people and about how ill-fated love affairs and obsessions continue to haunt the Greenleafs. In the end, Rin risks her own life to uncover a pair of murderers, separated by a century but connected by a motive. She reveals an odd twist in the family tree that forever changes the lives of the Greenleafs, the people who serve them, the mansion they all called home, and even Rin herself. Now here is an excerpt from The Greenleaf Murders. Last night, Rin had dreamt she went to Manderley again. When she was 15, her mother had given her a copy of Rebecca, saying it was one of her favorites. A voracious reader, Rin finished it in a few days, but her reaction was not what her mother had hoped for. Rebecca was horrible, but Maxim was no prize either, and the second Mrs. DeWinter kind of wimpy. You didn't like anyone in the book? asked her exasperated mother. I liked Mrs. Danvers. I know she was insane, but she really appreciated the house. If people had been nicer to her, maybe she wouldn't have burnt it down. The best part of the book was Manderley. I'd have liked to live there in splendid isolation, and Mrs. Danvers would take care of things. She was the only one in the book who knew how to do something. Her mother just stared. What teenage girl talked about living by herself in an ivy-covered British mansion? She kissed her daughter on the forehead. Rin, you really are an old soul. But although Manderley was her first love, Rin proved fickle and also fell in love with Holyrood House, Blenheim Palace, and Versailles. 
a succession of guidance counselors worried about Rin, although she gradually learned to make friends and even go on dates. However, nothing could replace her love for houses, and it was a foregone conclusion by college that she would become an architect like her father and spend as much time as possible working with houses and not people. And not just any houses, but the kind no one had lived in for a long time. As Rin approached 30, her father made her a junior partner and told her if he could close the deal with Stephen Greenleaf, he'd let her take full responsibility for the Greenleaf house. Once the proposal they had worked on so hard had been completed, Rin couldn't think about anything beyond spending her days in that gilded age gym, one of the largest private residences ever built in New York City. Over the years, like the second Mrs. De Winter, she dreamed of Manderley, never more than when she was hoping for the Greenleaf job. She came home late one evening after visiting a job site and found her father in the study of the home they still shared. Living at home had become a temporary convenience while she was at graduate school, which turned into a habit as they liked each other's company, not that either would admit it. She watched him sketch. Although the firm had an office in Midtown Manhattan, her father preferred to work at the study of their Brooklyn townhouse. For normal work, she knew it was safe to interrupt him. But not while he did the sketches, his avocation, his passion. Just him and his pencils, creating columns and cornices, chair railings and gargoyles. The only light poured from the desk lamp, illuminating the fine paper and her father's high-domed forehead. She wanted to know if he had heard anything, but had to wait patiently. Eventually, the scratching stopped, and he put his pencil down. If you haven't eaten yet, Ada left her spaghetti and meat sauce in the refrigerator. She's a fine housekeeper, but that particular dish is a little common. Only you would describe a dish of pasta as common. You know what I mean. And if you don't understand the context, you shouldn't be an architect. Fine but I think it's delicious. Yes, he said with a touch of impatience. I didn't say it wasn't delicious. I said it was common. He swiveled in his chair and smiled. But you're really here to ask if I've heard from Greenleaf? I told him today that we couldn't put aside our other projects indefinitely and that Bobby Fiore was the only contractor we could trust and we couldn't ask him to postpone other jobs. So, with a few arguments about the price. He agreed. Rin laughed, did a little dance, and punched the air. Then she ran and hugged her father, which he tolerated. I knew you'd convince him. You're the most wonderful father. Rin, take a seat. He said it in his even, measured tone, the one he used for serious discussions. Rin wiped the smile from her face, pulled up a chair, and tucked a rebellious lock of hair behind her ear. In the half-dark room, he took her hands in his. I have no doubt that you have the technical skills for this job. My concern is the personal skills. These are the Greenleafs. They were a force in this city when it was still New Amsterdam. We see their house merely as an architectural jewel. The family sees it as a symbol of how tightly they are tied to the history of the city. They are different from other people. People are people, she said. First of all, no. 
people are different, and even if you were right, people are not your strong suit. I've worked well with our clients, she said defensively. You referred to one of our clients as a pompous bourgeois vulgarian. Wren rolled her eyes. Let's not go there again. I didn't say it to his face, just to you. Do you think you hid your feelings? You've said worse, she countered. Then she realized she had lost the argument when his eyes went up to the framed certificate on the wall, the Pritzker Prize, often called the Nobel Prize of Architecture. I've earned my right to arrogance. You have a long way to go. Just remember that these people pay our bills. I know we often work to protect them from their own worst instincts, but let's try to be a little more politic. Your mother used to say you lived in your own special world, but you have to join the rest of humanity every now and then, and that brings me back to the Greenleaf House. This is the very important symbol of what was once one of the most important families in this city. Keep that in mind when dealing with Stephen Greenleaf. We've already had several meetings, don't forget. He didn't seem that unusual to me. Runs his own asset management firm. I've dealt with Wall Street types before. It won't be a problem. Wren, again, heavy on her name. All her life, this had been a sign of a serious conversation. The Greenleafs made their money before there was a Wall Street. People like this are unusually touchy about their families and histories. Now that you're actually starting, his behavior may change. There could be some emotional repercussions. To make this a success, you will have to watch out for those feelings and manage them. And you're about to say, again, that I understand houses but not people. Let's just say it's more of an effort for you. You can work with people. You just don't like to. But I made you a partner, so you can't just do the fun parts of your job. You have to do it all. Yes, Father, she said. He was serious, so there could be no more pushback from her. No verbal fencing. He wanted her to live up to his expectations. It isn't your father who's asking you, Rin. It's the senior partner of this firm, Ms. Fontaine. She nodded. I understand. Ezra, and then he lightened his face with a smile. But before we move on to particulars, there is one more piece of advice, this time from your father. It may be hard to remember in any residence we work on, but especially in one with more than 70 rooms, it is not just a house. It's someone's home. It was Mr. Greenleaf's childhood home, in fact, and his aunt has lived there her entire life. You're not very sentimental, Wren, and that's fine. Neither am I. But please remember that it's not just a building, it's a home. And that was an excerpt from The Greenleaf Murders. Now here is a little more about our author. R.J. Carrito is the author of the historic home mystery series set in modern New York City. The Lady Frances Folks Mystery Series set in Edwardian England and the Alice Roosevelt Mystery Series set in turn-of-the-century New York. His short stories have been published in Elry Queen's Mystery Magazine and Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine as well as various anthologies. 
In his day job, he works as a business and financial journalist. Over the years, he's been a magazine writer and editor, website manager, PR consultant, book author, and seaman in the U.S. Merchant Marine. Like his heroine, Lady Frances Folks, he's a graduate of Vassar College. With his wife and daughters, he divides his time between Rockland County, New York, and Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. You can catch up with R.J. Carrito at his website, rjcarrito.com. You'll be able to find him on Goodreads, just search his name. He's on BookBub at rjcarrito1, that's number one. He is on Instagram at rjcarrito. He is on Twitter at rjcarrito and Facebook at rjcarrito. That's all we have this week on Books to the Ceiling. Thank you so much for stopping by, and I hope to see you again next time. Coming in March 2023, If I Had a Hammer, the second book in the Swinging 60s series. It's 1963, and Dot Morgan just landed her first job at Gibson Construction. A set of rental houses is being torn down for the next great thing in retail, the Strip Center. But once they start digging, there's more than dirt at that construction site. Take a trip back to 63 and experience a world with percolators, dictaphones, and Peter, Paul, and Mary, while Dot uncovers clues to a murder that could put her in danger. If I Had a Hammer is the second book in the Swinging 60s series. <laughs>